You're listening to Advancing Our Church. Welcome to Advancing Our Church, a Changing Our World podcast about Catholic stewardship, leadership, and advancement. And I'm your host, Jim Friend. Welcome back, and thanks for joining us today. On today's podcast, we're talking about engaging young people in the work of advancing the mission of our church. And I wrote a piece recently, which I hope will be released very soon, called Five Ways to Engage Young Adults in the Church. And I thought that I would read you the brief introduction to that article because I think it sets the table for today's interview with Randy Rouse. And so here it is. There has never been a more critical time to engage and recapture the hearts of our young people in the community of the church than now. Among American religious groups, the fastest growing group is the nuns. This term refers to those who indicate none when asked to identify their religious affiliation. According to an October 2019 report by the Pew Research Center, a staggering 40% of millennials identify as unaffiliated with any organized religion. Church leaders have been wrestling with the reality of these growing statistics for the past decade. The absence of young adults and young families in our pews can be seen in churches across the United States on any given weekend. What can be done today to engage millennials and Generation Z in the life of our church? And then I go into five proven ways to engage young people in the church. And again, I hope to release this article very soon. But the main point that I want to underscore is that 40% number. 40% of millennials identify as none. That's staggering to me. And it's a topic that I would like to explore more here on Advancing Our Church because it really is one of the core areas that we need to be focused on in all of our ministries. And that's why ministries like Life Teen are so critical and why I'm so excited to have today's guest on our show. And so with that, let's get to work. Our guest today is Randy Rouse. Randy is the CEO and president of Life Teen, a Eucharistic-centered movement within the Roman Catholic Church whose mission it is to lead teenagers and their families into a deeper relationship with Jesus Christ and his church. With the Blessed Virgin Mary as their intercessor and guide, Life Teen seeks to unleash the fullness of the sacramental power present within the young church. I think you'll enjoy our conversation today. Just a warning that Randy's audio isn't that great at the start of our podcast, but it does get better as we go along. And so, without further ado, here is our conversation. So, Randy, welcome to the program. So glad to have you here today. I was excited. Uh, I was listening to an interview with you recently uh, where I learned that you were a convert, uh, and I am also a convert. My uh, family converted to Catholicism when uh, I was 12 years old. We were at an Augustinian parish down in Orlando, Florida, and uh, my, my parents had sent me to Catholic school for a year. My mom decided to convert to the faith, and then I asked if I could convert, and eventually the whole family. Ten years later, my father converted. We all got to be his sponsor. Sponsors. It was a great bond that we all share. And I think that I've heard some say that uh, converts can make the best Catholics. <laughs> but uh, I, um, I was, uh, anyway, I was excited to hear about that. I was, I was curious to learn a little bit more about your story of conversion to the Catholic faith. And, and again, welcome to the program. Yeah. Uh, thanks for, thanks for having me on, Tim. And uh, yeah, I, I am a convert to the Catholic faith. And, and uh, my experience, I grew up in Northeastern Ohio. Uh, and uh, it's in a predominantly Catholic area, but I was Lutheran, 
And my family didn't really celebrate their faith very much as the Christmas and Easter crew, you know, that uh, we would go to church twice a, twice a year. And so growing up, I really didn't have people in my life that really talked to me about, about Jesus. I went to college, and uh, I didn't like the weather of Northeast Ohio. I decided I would go to a southern uh, university where um, I could get away from all the cold. Really shallow reason of why to go there to college. But I love it. <laughs> I ended up going, uh, going all places to the University of Alabama, which at the time had a 2% Catholic population. And so I had a 98% chance of not meeting a Catholic, right? Uh, but sure. the world doesn't pay attention to numbers and statistics and all that. It's just things going to work and people's lives is going to work. So ended up starting dating this girl. And after about a month of going out, she asked me if I'd like to go to Mass with her. She was happy. And that, you know, if we were in a date, you know, it would be great if we went to church together. So I went for really every wrong reason you could go for it. I was making brownie points with her, or, you know, just like another date for me. Right. But I think I, uh, she had different intentions because after Mass, we went out to lunch, and she quizzes me about every aspect of Mass. Like, you know, the first reading, I knew, she even asked about the responsorial psalm, which I really think is a fair question to ask, but it was, you know, and uh, she asked me, and, and I couldn't really tell her anything because I went there and really not paid attention. I don't know if any of your, if any of your listeners are in that spot where they go to Mass and maybe they forget what they're reading about or whatever, but that was me that day, and so I couldn't answer any questions, and she said something really important to me in my life. She said, hey, how'd you like to go again next week and try? And I, and I always think this is a great example. Like, women and men should challenge each other to grow in their faith and to take it serious. And so I like that challenge, so I said, absolutely. So I, I went back, and I knew week after week I was going to get thrilled on what was happening at Mass. <laughs> And uh, it made me really come alive one of the scriptures. Uh, I didn't end up marrying that girl, but like, she got me on a path that I kept going to Mass every Sunday. And uh, when I finally got out of the Eucharist, it was like game over. Uh, and, and then uh, when I was becoming Catholic, I was the only one in the formation of the RCIA class that was becoming Catholic just because I wanted to become Catholic. Not, I wasn't trying to get married in the church or please a spouse or any of that in our class was filled with people like that. Not that they didn't want to become Catholic. It was, you know, I was a little bit of a priest. Pulled me aside before he became Catholic and he said, hey, I expect more from you. You need to get back to the parish. I expect big things. So think of where you could volunteer. And I thought back about my high school career and how nobody had ever talked to me about Jesus back then. Uh, and I thought, well, I don't think it's going to be youth ministry because I think if I had, had this relationship with Christ at an earlier age, I could just be so much further along in my faith, and I could have avoided a lot of stupid things I did as a young man. So that's kind of what brought me to the faith. And my first Sunday in Atlanta, when I moved here, uh, I met my wife, and uh, priest introduced us after that. <laughs> and uh, we've been married 32 years and eight children, and we just live this wild Catholic life. And uh, I don't know if it's just converts who are on fire, but I know a lot of Catholics who. Who are on fire and see so much hope for the church. And in these times, even when there's crisis and darkness, um, there are people faithfully trying to live in the faith. That's exciting. That's a beautiful story. And, uh, you know, I, I think when, uh, when I think about how I've stayed close to my faith, and certainly it was first because of my family and that conversion experience that we had, but uh, also it was because I married the right woman who's kept me grounded in my faith, uh, even when, you know, I think we've had, certainly all of us go through challenging times. We've been married 25 years. 
I know you and your wife have been married a long time, beautiful family, and I think it's that fabric of prayer and uh, that foundation of faith that sustains us through all of that. Amen. So, um, you know, Randy, uh, it's been uh, the, the USCCB met, you know, the bishops met back in um, October, as you know, down in Baltimore, their annual meeting. You know, one of the presentations that caught my eye, I listened to the entire thing, but one of the things I think that's most relevant for a lot of us is um, was the Committee on Evangelization and Bishop Robert Barron's committee specifically, and he was talking about some very specific ways in which we should try to draw young people back to the faith. And of course, there's been a lot of talk over the last you know couple of years about the increase in the number of nuns, right? Those who do not, that when they're checking off which religious affiliation they belong to, it's none. Some uh, 40%, I think, is the number of young people or folks nationally, I think, is the last number I saw. What's your take on that? How are we doing as a church kind of addressing that culture of nuns, and, and how do you see Life Team playing a role in that? Well, what we're, what we're trying to do, I really, we really believe that youth ministry, a culture of youth ministry at a parish, will renew a parish. That's one of our core beliefs of Life Team. We see parish after parish that make youth ministry a priority. And see it renewing not only the teenagers, bringing teenagers into the faith, the baptism faith, but families as well, because there are a lot of adults who are disengaged from the faith, and they really are searching. They're hungry, but it's a matter of the church presenting itself in a relevant way for today's world and helping people to understand how today's faith is relevant. Uh, the Catholic faith is completely relevant. The gospel is as relevant today as it was two thousand years ago. Christ, you know, was on the earth. You know, it, it really is this message that uh, three young people, I think, if you look at marketing efforts and major marketing companies, and they gear their message towards like 14 year olds because if they can reach a 14 year old, they know that older people want to hear what young people are hearing and younger people want to hear a 14 year old. So they, they, it's a universal message. So why wouldn't we as a church uh, evangelize? through young, you know, through reaching out to the young and, and uh, having them come alive in their faith. So it's, it's, in, and it's an exciting time on Life Team. We've seen a lot of, a lot of fruits from that uh, across, across the board. You know, there's so much can be daunting when you, and I'm sure you deal with this and your staff works with this all the time, you know, youth ministers and pastors who really want to do well by their young people. They're not sure where to start. Today's culture, we're dealing with pornography more than ever before gay marriage, opioid addiction. I mean, there's just so many things that can come up in a youth group setting or challenges, I think, that families are facing. You know, when you sit down with a pastor, when your staff members sit down with a pastor to begin with Life Teen, you know, where do you where do you get started in beginning to develop that culture of youth ministry as you described it? Well, I think the key is what you just said is sitting down with a pastor. I think for a long time in the church, you know, a lot of parishes, they, they, the youth minister would move on and they're always starting something new. So it almost, in a sense, feels like youth ministry has to reboot every couple of years. Hmm. And so pastors are really interested in something that's going to be sustainable. It's going to be there past the time that they're there, right? Right. And so what we try to do is to meet with them and give them a model that isn't focused, it is focused on one person, one to one person being. But then beyond that, it's a team of people that go into this parish, that, that are part of the parish, that, that dive into the life of the people, accompanying them on their journey and really help form them as, as disciples that, that invest in them. I, I heard this 
saying this summer, I think it was brilliant. Somebody told me this. They said a young person will naturally gravitate toward the oldest person in the room who takes them serious. Mm. And I really find that to be true. Like when you think of, like when you hear somebody, even the great, the best grandparents are the ones that dive into the lives of those grandkids and really just see them as the potential of who they can be and who they are now, but who they can be. And uh, time and time again, you see young people gravitating to that. So I think youth ministers can be of all ages, people involved with young people, uh, as long as they take them serious and they really uh, journey with them. So what we're trying to do is create this culture that the pastor one says, we're going we're gonna to go all in on that. Yes, we're going to need to put some financial resource, we're going to need to put some people resource to it, and if we do that, we're going to advocate right from the pulpit, like you know, right during the homily, that young people, you're welcome here. That this is that you're a vibrant part of this parish, and, and we want you here. Here's how this gospel is relevant to you. And when he speaks to those young people, as I said earlier, the, the adults will even listen twice because they, they he's speaking to the teens. What's he saying? You know, and they'll, they'll pay attention. So it, it, it's just, we just see a lot of great chatting. You know, I've heard you say in other interviews, young people aren't going to care about what we know until they know that we care. I love that. I love that. <laughs> it's well, it's well said. Yeah, uh, absolutely. So, um, you know, I, I was a youth minister. I think I shared with you, oh gosh, 25, 30 years ago at the beginning of my career. Um, Life Teen was around way back then. And um, I want to say it got to start in Phoenix, Arizona at a parish there. Can you tell us a little bit about the history of Life Teen, where it was and kind of where it is now? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, it started out in one parish in Phoenix, Arizona. What the catalyst was, was a teenager had gone through confirmation. He was kind of like the all-star confirmation student, one that he thought he could be a Right? And he, six months after going through confirmation, has left the Catholic Church. And so the parents invited this priest over to the house and invited them to come have dinner. And their son's name is Alan. And so they didn't like up there. And Alan, he's left the church. But we were talking about it. So, of course, family did the family dinner. And at the exact perfect time, all of them members would sit down, stand up, and say, Hey, we're going to do the dishes. You guys talk. And so the priest is offered to let the guy on the table with the team and looks over and says, Hey, I heard you left the church. Is it is it the Pope? You know, I'm very good teachings. Alan says, No, he's like a really nice guy because this is the Eucharist. You don't really believe that's the body and blood of Jesus. And uh, the, the team goes, No, it's right there in scripture. It's in John, you know, it's I I, I totally believe that. And he said, Well, why why is it like the church? And he says, Well, in 16 years ago in the Catholic Church. So I can't tell you that I've ever felt love, that the church loved, that it cared. And he goes, but in, I go to this new church because I don't even know exactly what they believe, but all I can tell you is when I walk in the door there, I feel loved. And so it was from that moment that that priest said, I never want another person to leave our parish, especially a young person, thinking that they're not loved, that they're not, that they're not important to the church. And so with a deep love for liturgy, and started with a light team, which you know, started with a, a mass here for young people, and then had a thesis after that helped open the beauty of our faith to young people. And that was back in 1985, and now we're in over 2,000 parishes in 27 different countries, and it's just become this movement of the Holy Spirit within the church that uh, we just try to be obedient to what God's calling us to do, always 
reimagining and recreating who we are uh, to reach today's teenagers. So, like thinking when we were back, back way back when, it's, it's changed up since then, you know, uh, and in good ways because we wanted to always adapt and make it uh, more where teenagers were at, and uh, we're just seeing some great fruits from it. And how many countries did you say you're you're around the world, right? Yeah, we're in 27 countries. Uh, for instance, in Spain, we have 120 parishes now over the last five years hmm. since we, uh, you know, since they did World Youth Day there in Madrid, that now are, are implementing Life Team and they're translating all the resources and there's all this energy. We're going to really do a European training conference next month there. Tremendous. So, Randy, when uh, when you, for a parish to participate in Life Teen, obviously a, a big part of that is the Eucharist and uh, and and a, and a mass. Are there? I would imagine you also developed uh, support materials, program guides, leadership guides, training that kind of thing. How does it work for a parish to say, you know, I we want to be a Life Teen parish, and you know, what's involved with with getting that started? Yeah, you can go on our website, lifeteen.com, and there's a whole way to go into the, the store area where you can sign up as a subscription. And what our main goal is, is for parishes to spend less time planning and more time with teenagers because nothing's going to replace that relational ministry that you have within a parish. And as you have back then, one thing that hasn't changed in some time you're a youth minister, what's still most effective is face-to-face. And earning, you know, earning the right to be heard by a young person by really finding out who they are and, and journeying with them. And so what we do is provide those resources so that you know, you answer the question, you have 30 teenagers in a room, what do I do with them to engage them and to bring them along and to make them into disciples? And we provide those resources to help you. So, uh, Randy, tell us a little bit about vocations. I can only imagine that over the years, Life Teen has led many young young people to think about a vocation. Is that true? Yeah, you know, we've uh, done two studies now, um, and we work with the National Council of Diocesan Vocation Directors, and we did a survey of the current seminarians in the United States, and about 35% of the seminarians are coming out of parishes that are implementing Life Team, which is pretty amazing since Life Team's in just a little bit over 10% of the parishes in the U.S. right now. So those people that are investing in youth ministry, creating that culture of youth ministry at their parish, the positive interaction between a priest and those and those teenagers is creating just uh, a lot of vocations, uh, people discerning their way in. And what beyond that, it's even creating uh, a lot of, you know, couples meeting and, you know, on core teams, they're serving as volunteers at the parish to help lead more teams to Christ. And they actually meet their spouse and these holy families. And it's, it's beautiful to see uh, when people pray, when they focus on young people, the great things that can happen from it. Absolutely. Tremendous. You know, Randy, the elephant room that we all deal with or to work through in different ways is obviously the abuse scandal that has uh, rocked our church over the last 20 or so years. I'm sure that topics like that come up once in a while when uh, you're working with young people and, and talking with them about being a Catholic and being proud to be Catholic and, and talking about their faith. You know, how, how, do you, um, how do you all talk to teens about what's happening in the church and uh, how, how, are we, how are you helping us or helping the church to overcome that? And, and maybe I'm not sure if that's the right way to ask that question, but what are your thoughts? Well, I think one of the important things is that we do talk about it with young people, that it isn't something that we just ignore or we admit that didn't happen. Um, and, you know, from my conversations and what I hear from youth leaders across the country is that it's, it's kind of sad because they've grown up in a time of darkness and a time of crisis. And there's always somebody letting them down in some way that they feel almost this is, you know, par for the course. 
Um, and most of them are unaffected unless it's a priest at their parish. Most of them know the priests at their parish or the youth leaders that are working with them as good people. And they and they simply go, yeah, we've heard about that, but we just want the church to keep doing what it's doing, which is leading us closer to Christ. So there's a lot of hope, actually, I think. And there's this transparency and, and you know, what we need to be as a church and, and be talking about those difficult issues that teenagers face. That's, you know, the crisis in the church is only one of them. They They have friends that are dealing with uh, same-sex attractions and struggling with different uh, different type of substance abuse and, and uh, eating disorders. And and uh, we see, you know, pornography is such a big epidemic for young people, both both guys and girls. And so just helping them to navigate those waters and, and, and the loving part of how the church's response is to all of that and, and the mercy of our Lord, you know. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, as father of three teenagers at home, we, you know, we talk about it um, with not on a regular basis, but it comes up. It comes up in the news. It certainly affected us actually at our own parish when one of our own was uh, was accused and removed. Um, I mean, I would echo that as, as a parent. Um, we have to keep talking to our young people about it and acknowledge that the church is made of people and that we are human and we, we sin. Uh, and we have to ask for forgiveness. And um, and as a church, also, we have to be accountable. And as individuals, we have to be accountable. So I think that's a piece of it as, as well. I'm sure over the years, you have seen Life Teen transform uh, many of your young people, not only from uh, from teenagers in the program, but maybe even as young leaders and beyond. Any stories come to mind of, of young adults or young leaders who have kind of come, come out of your program to uh, to do great things within your organization? Well, you know, some of the top presenters and you know people in the catholic church right now for young people are all teens that had gone through life teen uh, for instance like uh, probably the top catholic musician right now matt marr he he grew up in a, in a life teen parish in phoenix you know and went to a leadership conference and got on the path um on his faith through that and then he now he's glorifying you know on stages all around he played at world youth day you know with the pope with 3.2 million people at in Brazil, you know, uh, leading adoration, just so many of them that have had their formation out of parishes that invested in youth ministry through Life Team. So it's, it's beautiful to see. Uh, there was a young boy in, uh, in Brilliant, uh, Wisconsin. Uh, his name is Colin. He came to one of our camps and the camps that we do for summer camps are just amazing. Parishes come. They don't sign up teens individually, but an entire, entire parish group will come and they have a transformational week. They're unplugged from their cell phones and all social media and all those things that are a distraction and even a, even at times an anxiety causing thing for young people. And they, they just dive into face to face relationships and times of adoration and reconciliation and daily mass. And Colin just had this amazing experience and his youth leader came up to him at the end of the camp and said, Hey, what, what are you getting from this? And he said, I, I think I, I feel like I'm in heaven. And I think we need to take this back to our parish. We need to love it. spread the, the word of this. And so Colin went back and the next year they brought 15 kids and Colin was the only one with his youth leader there. They had joined another group and the next year, like 35. And before you know it, it became a, a thing for these teens to come to camp and to be active in their faith in a spot in Wisconsin that they weren't that active in their faith and, and a beautiful, beautiful story. And then on uh, one January morning, uh, Colin missed a stop sign and was hit by a milk trunk a milk truck up in there, which, you know, most parts of the country you see these gas tankers, but in Wisconsin, they've got milk trucks that are that big and hit him and, and he was killed instantly. And I, I got the honor to fly up to meet with his family 
And uh, just an amazing family of faith that Colin really had helped reignite the faith, their Catholic faith as a family. And his mom showed me his cell phone and uh, he had met a, a group of friends from Texas at one of our camps and uh, uh, about 30 minutes before he was in that accident, the last communication he had with anybody was this, with this girl from Texas. And she said, hey, Colin, tell me how you're doing. And, and don't guess, give me a, a two minute boys answer or a, a, a quick boys answer. <laughs> and uh, Colin texted her back and he said, um, he said, my, my school stinks. My family's awesome. And I'm growing closer to God every day. Wow. And so the mom just gave me a hug and she said, you know, Randy, uh, thank you for what you guys do. And it really was what the local parish did. You know, I just support what they do. But uh, she said, you know, what a difference it made at the funeral and for us right now in our life, knowing that he was on this path, you know, and those are the type of things. Um, it turns out that his his um, his uncle was running a foundation in Wisconsin, and we've been partnering with them the last five years to spread youth ministry in Wisconsin. And over that amount of time, we've, we've trained over a hundred youth leaders at funded by this foundation to uh, start like teen in that area. And, and uh, we see youth ministry growing as the result of this one teenager who came back on fire, got his parish on fire. And then uh, due to a tragedy, now his uh, legacy continues. That is a beautiful story as it touches me in a personal way and on a lot of levels, obviously because of this young man's story. I, but I, it's, it's, God's plan. I was actually at Holy Family in Brilliant not long ago, and it is a special place. And um, you, yeah. just, you just never know. Um, you know, you talk a little bit about about funding. Um, how uh, how is Life Teen funded? I would imagine that fundraising and stewardship and uh, is is essential to helping you grow your ministry. Yeah, we try to operate uh, through our operations to be t- totally funded. So our fundraising goes towards. Uh, initiatives, uh, people like donating towards, you know, things that are going to have direct impact rather than just covering overhead of what we do. So I try to, I've always taken a little bit of business background that I had and you know, but along with my passion for ministry, leading teams close to Christ and combining into a successful ministry model that's very healthy that way. So we, uh, we have a number of people that are very generous, uh, to life team that help provide funds for initiatives, uh, we are able to fund a brand new confirmation curriculum solely on on donations from people, and we went to one of the top web developing companies in the in the world. And uh, the, turned out the head of the company is Catholic, mm-hmm. and they he made it a special pet project. And we went and did focus groups with parishes. What they need, what tool do they need for confirmation? And we just launched it last last summer, and it's called Purpose, and it's. Uh, Kerygma based uh, to reach young people where they're at, and we're just seeing phenomenal results from that. It's on. It's it's mostly digital, uh, a platform that really helps the youth leaders spend so much less time on paperwork and communications things, and more time with the young people. And parishes are loving it. So those type of things, uh, there are people out there that are really incredibly generous. If you you know have a vision and purpose for what you're doing, you can really frame it into what you do and. And how they can support it, I, I, we find people to be very supportive. That's wonderful. You know, confirmation, you know, I've heard many parishes say that, that after confirmation, that's when we, we lose young people. And so finding a program that gets them engaged and maybe even keeps them engaged after afterwards is so essential. 
Absolutely. And another uh, exciting thing within my team right now is our missions program. We have 20 full-time missionaries who we form at our bases in uh, in North Georgia. We have two camps in North Georgia, and we also have missionaries in Haiti, where we've been invited in uh, by Bishop Dumas down there to start a center for the new evangelization, the St. John Paul II Center for the new evangelization, right, in his diocese. Mm-hmm. And we're spreading like teen into parishes throughout Haiti, and people are helping to fund those parishes. Uh, they you know, want to see the young people there to have the same opportunities that young people in the United States have. So it's, it's exciting to see the growth of that and people, those missionaries are fundraising and getting support from people and, and people, and they really include people on that journey as they do that. Well, it's interesting. Uh, you know, I, I mentioned earlier about Bishop Barron's committee on evangelization. That was actually his number one recommendation to, uh, to engage young people, even young adults uh, in a conversation about uh, service, you know, and, and that maybe we can't, um, we, we may not be able to address some of their concerns right away, but we have to find pathways for young people to get in. And so through acts of service, acts of charity, uh, he recommended that that would be certainly one, one avenue in. Yeah, and we found that to be the exact case. We started, uh, we have our regular summer camps uh, that are very much, you know, evangelization and catechesis. And, and uh, we took the Young Life you know, non-denominational model, which is about 70% fun and 30% spiritual. And we flipped it. We mm. said, let's do 70% spiritual and 30% fun. And it really is a good mix for Catholic kids that are coming with their parishes. But we, 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 we've added something in the last couple of years called Restore Mission Camps, which are camps where we don't do the whitewater rafting and the mud pits and the ropes course. But at those times, with the same programming, they're actually going in, into people's homes and restoring their lives. We're going to hurricane place, places where hurricanes hit or flooding happened. And people, the young people are interacting with the people that they're serving. And we're getting kids that aren't, aren't even willing to darken the doorway of a, of a parish that actually find out about this and sign up. And we're not watering down the programming at all. Like for somebody in a pre-evangelization state, they, they really are going in, you know, with the same programming. But by the end of the week, they're so on fire. Like teens want the depth, but they also want that service. So mm-hmm. we're seeing parishes are going, wow, this is a great way for us to reach kids we never could have reached before. You know, I was just thinking, Randy, that's tremendous. I, I think service is certainly the way the way in. I, I was also thinking um, with with the masses that you do for young people. I mean, I know just because I've been to, to different ones around the country for life team masses that you see a lot of folks who are not youth, <laughs> people who are my age <laughs> and older. And uh, yeah. are you are you finding that people who are not young adults or not, you know, not in the youth category, will say, um, finding you know their faith again or being more engaged with their faith or their parish because of the life team program. Absolutely, one hundred percent. Most parishes that are doing a mass, a youth mass, are seeing more adults going than even the teens because uh, they want the church to be vibrant. They want to see liturgies that that speak to them and music that they can sing along with. And, and uh, a lot of times, you know, what we we're really advocating is just good liturgy. So like let's let's right. do something where it's vibrant, where people are participating. You know, when you sing, you pray twice, right? So why wouldn't we offer an opportunity for people to do that with sound systems and, and a vocal range that people can sing along with? It's not a performance. It's it's really a time of prayer. Beautiful. It's just we have to tell them they can't participate in the mud slides and the whitewater rafting, <laughs> but uh, but they can come from Mass anytime. Yeah, who knows? Maybe one day we'll do adult retreats like that and, uh, you know, maybe 
we can't lose our childlike faith. I think that's so important for all of us. I yep. mean, I think, you know, I always know in my life, it's a fine line between childish and childlike, but I, I try to <laughs> on the childlike faith side and, and uh, working with teenagers, it's just a joy, but uh, we really need to keep learning. We need to keep always expanding who we are, no matter what age that is. And, and I think, you know, when working with young people, it's important when they ask you a question that's tough and you don't know the answer, just simply tell them that you don't know, but you're going to get back to them and, and that you're going to help them, you know, and they completely respect that. They don't expect us to have it all down. So I don't know if there's anybody out there that's like has a tugging in their heart to work with young people in a parish. I would say absolutely do it. I don't know if there's any ministry more important than that for a parish. So, you know, if you have that calling at all, it's not it'd be, it'd be a great thing to do. And they're a lot less intimidating than you really think they are. They, they really are so open to people diving into their lives. Great point. I, I would echo that. Um, I, uh, I've continued to stay engaged with it, both when I was a youth minister and a young man, now that I'm not a young man, but I have young people in my home, we've tried <laughs> yeah. to, uh, to stay involved with, uh, with their high school formation and, uh, and their youth ministry program. There is certainly a role for parents. You don't have to go to the meetings. You can work behind the scenes and play a role, I think, to support the, the youth ministry program in your parish. So, Randy, my last question for you would be, um, I know that Eucharist is so important and the liturgy is so important to your ministry. Yeah, how important would you say, how important is prayer? You know, just overall prayer in the life of your of your ministry, in the life of our young people, in the life of uh, those who lead your program. Yeah, yeah, I always say if you're not praying, you're toast in ministry. I, I believe that, um, you know, reaching young people, there's going to be, especially those working with young people, there's a lot of resistance from the evil one for, for the, the efforts that we do. So you really have to stay grounded in prayer. So when I came in as the president of the organization, I told staff that part of their work day was going to daily mass, that they needed to make that a priority. I just think for what we're doing and the gravity of everything going on today, that we need to do that. Also, we have a strong, not only a strong devotion to the Eucharist, which we absolutely do, but kind of like Bosco's dream where the Pope was in a storm out in the sea and he chained the church to uh, two pillars. One was the Eucharist and, and one was our Blessed Mother. Uh, that really is the mantra of life teen. So we're focused on, on Mary and the Eucharist. And so we implemented, uh, 14 years ago, started praying St. Louis de Montfort's, uh, consecration to Jesus through Mary, uh, the 33 day prayer. Uh, and we do that at the end of every year. We close, close it in December each year. And I, I think it's transformed our ministry. So I, I encourage not only our staff, but our board of directors and the entire family of life teen out there at all the parishes to, to be locked in, in prayer. So uh, what we've done, I think, Jim, is if you ever went to one of our early training conferences back in the day, uh, we've kind of transformed those not only as a great practical tips of here's how to do youth ministry. You know, we're training about 6,000 people a year to do youth ministry, but we actually make it almost like a retreat where there's prayer experiences and, you know, that, that, uh, and those opportunities for encounters that we give to young people in all our programming. We give those to adults as well. We, we have got to be grounded in prayer. It's, it's essential. It's, it's the fabric of who we are as life teen and it's completely encouraged from me from the top. And, and, uh, and uh, you just see a lot of fruits with it. Like, uh, prayer works and we should just be really committed to it. Very well said, Randy. My wife and I, uh, and actually our men's group at our parish, we all did the prayer to St. Louis de Montfort and 
the reflection and total consecration of Mary. And it's a very powerful experience if you haven't done it for anyone who's listening. And I, I think it's about the journey, right? So you're you're changed a little bit, I think, throughout that journey of praying that every day and making it a priority and and um, and drawing closer to our Blessed Mother. So wonderful way to, to end our podcast here today. Randy, I want to thank you for being on the program and thank you for all the wonderful and inspirational things you do throughout the country, throughout the world now through Life Team and, and all the young people and lives that you're touching and transforming. Well, th- Jim, thanks for having me on and uh, thanks for what you've done over the years for youth ministry. And I know you have your own youth group at home right now. So uh, thanks for that. <laughs> I know you have teenagers hanging out there. So for anybody that uh, is around teenagers, just dive into their lives. They really do need uh, that mentorship and a coach and somebody that's champion for them. Absolutely. Thanks again, Randy. You take care. Okay. okay God bless. God bless. I want to thank Randy for being on our show this week. What a terrific ministry and a real blessing to our young church. If you'd like more information about Life Teen, you can visit them at lifeteen.com or visit the show notes of our website for more information. Well, that's our show this week. Many thanks to the Changing Our World podcast team and to Pottery Studios for their support of our show. If you'd like more information on our show, please visit us at advancingourchurch.com. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. Advancing Our Church is a production of Changing Our World, and we are a fundraising and social impact consulting firm that has been advising both nonprofits and corporations for the past 20 years. For more information, please visit us at changingourworld.com. Well, that's it for me, everybody. Have a terrific week. Thanks for all you do to advance our church. Take care and God bless.